are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Matthew chapter 13. I want to speak on the parable of the pearl, the great pearl, as recorded in verses 45 and 46. In Matthew chapter 13, the pearl of great price, the pearl of great price, the parable of the pearl I want to speak to you about tonight. I dealt with the first of these seven parables back in chapter 13, verse 1, the parable of the sower. Then I dealt with the parable of the tares among the wheat. And then I brought you a message also of the parable, on the parable of the mustard seed. And then a message on the parable of the leaven uh, that the woman took and leavened the whole lump with three measures, uh, three measures of, of, of the lump measured by eleven by the leaven, and the leaven was a picture of evil. And then I brought also a message to you on the parable of the hidden treasure. I note in these uh, messages that the kingdom of heaven is, is used, the terminology, repeatedly. We have it again in the uh, parable tonight, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm aware of the fact that there are some Bible commentators who say, that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, are the one and same thing, and they mean the one and same thing, but don't, I don't personally agree with that. The Scofield Bible doesn't agree with that. The kingdom of heaven is earthly and temporal, and I think synonymous with the age of the church and the age of the millennium to come is involved in the kingdom of heaven, altogether earthly, whereas the kingdom of God is heavenly and uh, eternal not a temporal arrangement. In the kingdom of God, there are no tears, no foolish virgins, no soulful servants, but only those that are born again genuinely and angels who are created, as you well know, as holy creatures of God. That's the kingdom of God. But in the kingdom of heaven, you have unsaved people in the local church. Uh, that's a sad potential in commentary, but it's a fact. Uh, we have 3,000 members of Tabernacle and more, and I'd be rather foolish to imagine that all 3,000 members of our church were genuinely born again. Now, would they were, but they aren't. And I, I say that because I observe their fruit, and their fruit does not show me that they're genuinely born again. They are, I, I therefore conclude that they're tears among the wheat, that they're foolish virgins among the wise, and that they're soulful servants among the faithful servants. And so... Uh, so it is with the kingdom of heaven. But you don't have that situation in the kingdom of God. So I read in verse 45, the, uh, in the age of the church, it shall be that the kingdom of heaven shall be like unto a merchant man. A merchant man. Now in every one of these parables, we have a man involved. The sower, and then you have also the husbandman in parable number two. And then you have the, uh, the uh, other parables involved. Uh, a man, for example, in the parable of the uh, hidden treasure, a man bought the field when he had found the treasure. Uh, he buy, uh, bought the whole field. The field is the world. We learn from parable number two. So we have a man in parable number six called a merchant man uh, seeking goodly pearls. Goodly pearls, not just any kind of a pearl, but goodly pearls, pearls that are real, Pearls that are perfect and pearls that are genuine, he's looking for. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, 
one pearl of great price. In a world of many parts of the body of Christ, there is one unit, one body, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And in that one faith, one church, one Lord, one baptism, are all the born-again people as one unit. Uh, that's the great pearl, uh, not broken into many fragments, but one unit. I sometimes hear people, preachers, lament the, uh, uh, the church uh, fragmented, they say, broken in so many uh, divisions. And when I hear that, I say to myself, now that is not really correct. I know the denomination of the world is divided into many groups, but the body of Christ is not. The body of Christ is one unit. And I'm a Baptist, but that unit might be uh, composed of some Methodists. I do believe there's some Methodists who are really saved. I believe there are Pentecostal people who are genuinely saved. And there are other denominations, no doubt, have really born-again people uh, in their fellowship. And if a man is genuinely born again, he's in the body of Christ. I don't buy the idea of a Baptist bride. I believe in a born-again bride. I would prefer that born-again bride be a Baptist bride. But I do believe that there's some Methodists in it and some uh, uh, Pentecostals in that bride. Uh, I do believe that. And that's not taken from my position as a Baptist one bit. If a man gets born again, he's part of that single bride. But I do believe that there's some Methodists in it and some uh, uh, Pentecostals in that bride. Uh, I do believe that. And that's not taken from my position as a Baptist one bit. If a man gets born again, he's part of that single unit that we call the pearl of great price that the man found. And he, uh, he uh, seeking for, he found it. And he sold all that he had and bought it, that is, bought the pearl, bought the body, bought the church in his own precious blood. Uh, bought the redeemed in his own precious blood. Now that's the parable. Two verses, 44 and 45 in Matthew 13. Now I want you to note several things about uh, this uh, parable of the pearl of great price. Uh, several lessons that we need to learn from it. The man in the parable is the bar or a bar of the field and bar of the pearl seeking goodly pearls. The man in the parable is a type and picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now there are those who hold to the idea that the man in the parable is the picture of the seeking sinner, seeking salvation. And when he finds salvation, then he sells all he has and buys salvation, but that interpretation will not stand up. To begin with, a sinner doesn't seek God. God seeks a sinner. Amen. And further than that, if a sinner found the Lord, he does not have enough wealth to sell to buy one day of the redeeming grace of God. It's all by grace through faith and not a price, nor worth, nor merit, nor of money, you see. And so that kind of interpretation just doesn't stand up. The man in the parable is the seeking Savior, our Lord Jesus looking for every part of that one unit, the body, the church, the pearl, a goodly pearl, the pearl of great value. Then the man is zealous. The man is our Lord. And there is nothing more zealous in all the history of the human family than the work of the gospel, the work of the church. I, I put that above every organiz organization you think of. Labor unions are zealous. Uh, school institutions are zealous. 
sports are zealous, our philosophies like communism are zealous, and many things have much zeal involved. But I don't think you'll find a group of people in all history more actually zealous and dedicated than the church, and that our Lord, as the captain of the host of God, our Lord zealously looking for that goodly pearl. And you and I help him in that we carry the gospel, we teach the gospel, we pay. Uh, to have the missionary go, we did that tonight when we received the offering. 70% of the money you put in those offering pans a while ago leaves Tabernacle Baptist Church immediately and is invested in our mission program. And you pay to send our missionaries around the world how zealous that is, how godly that is. What a wonderful thing to have a local church willing uh, to abase herself to the degree that we operate with 30% of every dollar and give 70% of that dollar to missionary programs and missionary personnel around the world. And that's the picture of Tabernacle. That's zeal, zeal, fervent, devoted zeal for the souls of men. And the reason you do that the reason our missionaries do that is because of the great captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus, who called us into this great vocation and this great ministry of making known our Savior. And our Lord is still doing that. So the man is seeking. We have a seeking Savior. And he found me many years ago. He found you many years ago. Somebody said, I sought the Lord until I found him. No, he sought you until he found you. He found some of you in the factory. He found some of you in your automobile. He found some of you in your bedroom. He found some of you out in the field. He found some of you out in the woods. He found some of you in an altar. But he sought you until he found you. And when he found you, he saved you by his grace. You provided the sinner. He provided everything else. And there's not one thing you can provide. You don't seek God. You don't work out your salvation yourself. You don't find God. He finds you as a seeking Savior. So the parable uh, teaches me that Jesus is zealous, reaching out to the unsaved. Then the man knows the good of the pearl. A pearl can be counterfeited. And sometimes so perfectly counterfeited until you're not able to tell at the glance of the eye whether it's real or whether it's a counterfeit. But this man knows the goodly pearls. He's not seeking only a pearl, but he's seeking a goodly pearl. He knows the very part that God needs to fit, to fitly frame together in the house that my heavenly Father is building. And he fitly frames that house together, piece by piece, unit by unit, until it's completed. And when the house is completed, then he's going to rapture out the church and carry it to heaven. So he's seeking goodly pearls, you see. And there's not one counterfeit in the pearl of great price that my parable deals with tonight. It's a goodly pearl, not an imitation, nor a counterfeit. You know, it's an amazing thing how a pearl is formed. Men sometimes give their lives for precious gems, diamonds, sapphires, and so on. And even a pearl, they give their life for an expensive pearl. But if it's a real pearl, it's a marvel how the thing, thing came into existence. The pearl is not formed by the cunning work of a man's hand. 
when I was over in Israel, we stopped at a diamond factory where there were skilled men who knew how to cut the diamonds and to break the diamonds and uh, to shape the diamonds and fit them into a gold ring. And we watched them, stood there and watched those men work at their uh, work table uh, with those uh, diamonds, you see, very precious things. But a diamond uh, is broken. It becomes of great value as it becomes broken. It becomes of great value as it becomes cut. It becomes of great value as it becomes polished. But the very opposite is so with the pearl. A diamond would not have fit into this parable because a pearl, you break a pearl and you destroy the value of it. Mine is not how beautiful it may be or how valuable that pearl may be. If you hit it with a hammer and break it into a hundred pieces, you have destroyed a thing of great value. On the other hand, if you take a diamond and break it into a dozen people pieces, you have more wealth, you see. The more the pieces, the more the wealth. But the opposite is so with the uh, pearl. That little sea animal, somehow or another, gets a grain of sand in his little body, down in the dark depth of the water. And that grain of sand causes him pain. And God endowed that little animal with the ability uh, to extract some kind of secretion from his uh, body uh, to cover that sand, that grain of sand, uh, to lessen the pain. And day by day, that secretion is released. And finally, after so many months or years, that uh, secretion forms a pearl. It's one unit. And then they go down and find that little sea mammal, and they bring that little animal out of the water opens its body, and there they extract a pearl that's perfect and made in beauty by that little animal down in the dark waters of the sea, you see. And that's how it came into existence. And, and men clamor for that pearl. Queens wear them upon their crowns, and women wear them about their necks, and they're a thing of beauty and great wealth, a chain of beautiful natural pearls will be a thing of great wealth, you see. But they start and they're born by the sacrifice and the pain and the suffering of that little animal. Now you can see the typology and the picture. That's exactly how the church is born. We are born by the suffering of the Savior. As I preached to you on last Sunday night about the humiliation of our Christ. We're born in his agony. We're born by his blood. We're born by his cross, we sang a while ago, at the cross, at the cross. Agony and suffering and shame. He endured all of that to produce the church, the pearl of great price. And without that suffering, there could not have been that unit we call the church, you see. Marvel, I marvel at that. Men go down and bring that little animal up and take the pearl out, bring it to light, bring it to your eyes, and you say it's beautiful. It's beautiful, but it's one unit. You dare not break it because it's one unit, and if you destroy it by breaking it, you don't have a pearl of great value. That's a good lesson, by the way, for the doctrine of eternal life. Somebody said, well, I'm saved today, but I'll be, I'm lost now. No, no. If the church could be broken, if one part of the church uh, could be withdrawn by the devil, a rock of God by the devil, you'd have a broken unit. You'd have a destroyed body. 
And if you destroy the body, the church, then you destroy the very economy of God. It must be one unit, and it is one unit. So the man knows a goodly pearl. Like the shepherd knows the sheep. Like the pastor knows the people. Like a mother knows her child. The, the, uh, the man, the good the man, the great man in the parable knows the goodly pearl. He also knows the pearls that are counterfeits. He knows the, the animals who are not sheep, but who are goats. A shepherd can identify his sheep at the glance of the eye. And no goat can get in that crowd and escape the eye of that shepherd, you see. So the man knows the goodly pearls, and he buys those goodly pearls and puts them into that unit that we call the church. Then this man of my parable paid a great price. What a price. The parable says that he sold all that he had and bought the pearl of great price when he found it. And I submit to you all that he had was his own life, his own death, his own blood upon Calvary. And that's exactly what our Lord did. I submit to you heaven could not have done more than has already been done at Calvary. There is no excuse why any sinner and every sinner in all the world could not know the redeeming grace of God. The price is paid. God couldn't pay a greater price than has been paid when Jesus died upon Calvary. So the man, the merchant man in my parable, pays a price that demanded all that he had. And all that he had in the case of our Lord was his life upon Calvary. And then as a result of that, the man in my parable bought or redeemed that goodly pearl. And now it belongs to him. He redeemed me. He has saved me. He found me. He sought me. And then he redeemed me by his own precious blood. I could have no greater advantage than that. And I have that advantage. I have that blessing. All together by grace through faith in the crucified Savior, the parable of the goodly pearl. I marvel at that. I marvel at the church. If somehow I could teach our people at Tabernacle to love the church, I think we've all learned a tremendous lesson when we learned that. I think far too many church people casually take the church for granted. Sometimes church members take the church for granted. Sometimes our own members linger at loyalty and devotion. They fail to apply themselves to loyalty and devotion to the church. If it's convenient, they come. If it's not convenient, they don't. If they have money, they give. If they don't have money, they withhold what they have. If they have an opportunity to promote, to promote the church, they will, but they don't bother themselves about promoting, about recommending, about urging, about compelling people to come in. And loyalty becomes a lost uh, a part in the lives of many church people. I don't want Tabernacle to be that way. I don't want us to worship the buildings or the grounds or worship the pews, God forbid. But I do believe that God's people ought to not forsake the assembly of themselves together. I do believe that God's people ought to love the church and love the program of the church. I believe that God's people ought to love the body the people that are involved in the church. 
Who else in Greenville could I love in preference to the church? Where can I find a body or a group or even one individual in Greenville that I can give my love to more worthy, more godly, more God-honoring than to give my loyalty to the church? Is there a civic organization worthy of comparison? No. Is there one politician worthy of comparison? Never. I'm to be loyal fast to my church. The church is a goodly pearl that our Savior has purchased in his own blood. And don't you ever let anybody uh, deny you of that fact. God is preparing this great goodly pearl, gathering this great goodly pearl out of every nation and kindred and tongue around the world and bringing us together in one unit. And one day this great pearl is to have a glorious presentation to the merchant man, the Savior, who purchased the pearl at great price, his own precious blood. And what a day that's going to be when the body is complete and we meet the Lord in the rapture and enjoy meeting Christ at the marriage of the Lamb and live with him in a ceaseless eternity in the holy city, Revelation 21 and 22. All that is in the economy of God. We'll be loyal to it. You know, I've often said, and I think it's worthy now of repeating, since the good of the pearl to me is a picture of the church. I've often said that God has a purpose in the church. Uh, don't you ever forget that. The church at Tabernacle is not my church. Uh, I don't plan for the church according to my own desire, my own planning. Uh, all that I do in relation to the church, I read about in this book. God gave me the instructions about the operation of the church, the program of the church, the duty of the church, the work of the church. And I dare not add one thing, nor can I remove one thing, that the Bible clearly leads me to believe God plans for his church. I don't think the church is an afterthought or a salvage program. I believe that God is working with the church toward a certain direction and toward a certain goal, and there is no person nor devil in heaven or in the earth or in beneath the earth that can cause the church to fail in the program that God plans for. We are gloriously triumphant as a church, marching to Zion in God's plan, in God's economy, and nobody can, uh, can stop the progress and the movement of the church. And if you don't get on, you have to get run over. If you're not faithful, God will raise up another in your place. I want nobody to do my faithfulness for me. Uh, you remember how the Lord said of these stones? They shall cry out. If the disciples don't praise God, these stones will cry out. I don't want any stones to do my praise in God. I want to do that myself. I don't want another person uh, to perform my duty. I want to do that myself. And you ought to have the same desire and the same loyalty to your church. And when you're loyal to the church, you're not necessarily loyal to me, but you're loyal to the great captain who died for the church and gave his life for the church. And when I speak of the church, I mean the local church called Tabernacle 3931 Whitehorse Road in Greenville, South Carolina. 
I believe that this unit, this one unit, is the church of the New Testament. Not a Catholic unit, nor a Baptist unit, nor a Methodist unit, but the local assembly is that one unit for which Christ died upon Calvary and to which Christ adds converts and brings together God's people to assemble, to worship, and to fellowship, and to sing, and to pray, and to give, to get the gospel out around the world. Oh, the beauty of a local church, the goodly pearl of great price, the operational of a local church, totally non-political, totally non-commercial, a local church, completely committed to the great captain, completely loyal to this book, dedicated to one thing, get the gospel out, tell the story, help the great captain seek other goodly pearls to add to this body that one day is to be wedded to the great king in the sky. That's our program. That's our plan. That's the purpose. And we have no reason to exist beyond that. I think sometimes people get the idea that the church is a social agency. And we join it for economic advantage or social advantage. Or we join it because of prestige or to find a place in the community. No, no, my friend. This is not a social agency. The church is not a recreational agency. The church is a unit called the body of Christ, concerned about heaven, concerned about the Bible, concerned about the souls of men. And everything else is of lesser or no importance. The one thing is Christ Jesus crucified and the gospel story around the world. We're not involved in trying to change the world politically or socially or economically. We're trying to snatch brands from the burning. And so I find the goodly pearl in verses 44, 5, and 46. I find the merchant man, my Savior, looking, seeking for goodly pearls, who, when he hath found one pearl of great price. Now I think that one pearl of great price is a picture of the whole unit, the whole church. But we need to know that the church is made up of single pearls. And every believer is a pearl of great price. One by one they're brought and baptized of the Spirit into this great pearl of great price, the uh, church, the entire church, you see. And we become part of that, that great body called the church through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the operation of the Spirit. When Jesus found me, he put me into the body. He baptized me into the body. I was later baptized in water, but that was simply a testimony. I had a baptism before I went into the baptistry. I had a spirit baptism when I was regenerated. I didn't understand it then, being a boy and not a student of the Bible. But I found out later that when I was converted, I had that baptism. And by that baptism, God put me into the body of Christ. And then later, I was baptized in water so that my family and my friends would know that I give testimony to saving grace and saving faith in a crucified Savior. But he's looking for that pearl. And when he finds one, he brings that one 
and push them into the body of Christ. We are not divided. We are one unit. Marching to Zion, a great unit. Now when he finds that pearl, he has already paid the price. And the price that he paid 2,000 years ago was at Calvary when he died. A great price. He paid for the redemption of the goodly pearls that he finds. Now this thought. Do you think he's gotten all of them in? Sometimes the devil comes to me and he says, Preacher, you're, you're just washed up. You're fighting a losing cause. Nobody else is going to get converted. The, the church is washed up and there won't be anybody. You'll not reach anybody else in Greenville. But I believe the devil lies to me at that point. The very moment that sometimes those thoughts come to my mind, and the old devil browbeats me about the fact that the gospel has lost its power and nobody interested in the church anymore. The church will be passed up by the, uh, by, uh, by the masses. The very time those thoughts come to my mind, sometimes God brings a miracle right before me. And I see a sinner get converted. And we can carry them into the baptistry and get them baptized. Or I see somebody come into the church and become faithful and loyal and involved in the church. And I've, I've seen the devil proven to be a lie so many times. Oh, my soul, may I say to you, this is the dynamite of God. When you and me send our missionaries around the world with a Bible in their head and with the gospel on their lip, we're sending these missionaries with the weapon and with the power to convert any pagan heathen world around if they'll hear the gospel. My word does not return unto me void. The word of God is the dynamite of God unto salvation to everyone that believes it. And so I can have confidence and assurance that the merchant man is still finding goodly pearls. I still have confidence and assurance that others are going to get converted. As long as the church is in this earth, God is adding others to it. Maybe a child, maybe a drunk, maybe a great sinner, maybe a poor man, but God is adding others to the church daily, such as are being saved. Don't you ever forget that? The devil is an awful lie. He'll tempt you to believe that you waste your money when you put that money in the orphan pan. Nothing good will come from it. Nobody will get converted from it. Don't you believe that? No, don't you believe that? You keep on putting your tithe in this offering pan, and we'll keep on sending the missionary out, telling the story. God only knows the good that's coming from it. I couldn't calculate. I have no way of knowing, but I have confidence in the word of God that souls are being saved and shall continue to be saved until this goodly pearl is formed and completed. And when that goodly pearl is formed and completed, then the Lord's going to carry us to heaven. And you talk about a kingly crown. No monarch, no queen, no princess in all history has ever worn a crown to compare with this crown of goodly pearls that one day our Savior is going to receive. You talk about a perfect unit. You talk about a thing of beauty. You talk about an instrument formed by much suffering and by great patience 
and by long years, when that body is completed, it's to be the most beautiful thing you have ever seen in your life. I've often made this statement in my preaching. I've said that I believe that in heaven, God has a place where angels have never tread. Very beautiful place. I imagine this now. I can't find this in the book, but it's logical to me. A beautiful place. Angels sometimes say, God, we'd like to walk in that beautiful place. And God would say, no, that's reserved. Reserved for who, God? I have some sinners out of every nation, kindred, and tongue that I'm going to bring to heaven. And that place is reserved for those sinners. Angels cannot walk in that place. And then when finally we get to heaven, he's going to take us all, the last one of us, and put us on exposition in that beautiful place. And when he places all of us, goodly pearls we are, in that place of glory and prominence, then God will say, angels, you may now come by and see the tokens of the grace of God. See the goodly pearls that I purchased in my own blood upon the earth. A Gentile body of nobodies, poor people, maimed people, crippled people, blind people, ignorant people. I saved them all and baptized them into one body. And here it is. Now look at it, angels. And angels will glory at the handiwork of God when they see the church redeemed and a unit in heaven together. Then I imagine God says, devil, you come by. And I can see the old devil, guilty as he can be, an adversary that he is, an accuser that he is, compelled to come by. And God says, devil, look, lift up your wicked eyes and look at what I have wrought by my blood. Tokens of the grace of God. And the old devil will be compelled to lift up his eyes and look at that goodly pearl redeemed by the Redeemer in his own blood and be compelled to admit you did something, God, that I cannot undo. You did something, God, that I tried to hinder, but you gave the victory, and here they are, tokens of God's grace. And you talk about glory then. Me and you in that beautiful place will be only glory by and by in that glad hour when we're placed on exposition in glory. A goodly pearl from the depth of the waters found by the seeking Savior, redeemed by his blood at great sacrifice and great cost, lifted out of the darkness of the waters and carried to the shining light of glory, the goodly pearl of great price found by the merchant man, my great Savior. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNBBC.com for Christian music you can trust.